So I'm not going to make you raise your hand because, you know, Brian was here last week. He's like, all right, if you've ever stole something, raise your hand. And it kind of puts us in a weird, you know, especially if this person's sitting right next to you, you know, and you don't raise your hand and they do. And now you feel obligated. But here's the thing. We fail in all of the commandments, all of them. We could not, if God just gave us one, we would fail. But this one is a little bit different. Like when we see, when we see the word lie, we're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've lied before. Like a couple weeks ago, we talked about adultery. And maybe you're sitting here going, well, yeah, I'm, I'm safe on that. But then we looked at God's definition in Scripture about adultery. Or we looked at murder, and you come in and go, yeah, I've never murdered anyone. And then we looked at God's definition of murder, what Scripture has to say, yes, we've all committed adultery, we've all committed murder. Well, this one's pretty easy. Yep, we've all lied. We'll just, like, everyone's hands raised um, multiple times. Like, this just isn't something, oh, yeah, I've done that before. No. What studies show is that 60% of the people in the world cannot have a 10-minute conversation without lying. 60%. Those are the overachievers, and I know we have some overachievers in this room. But we lie a lot because when we really dig into it, we're going to really see what God's Word, how it defines lying and what Scripture has to say about it. It's going to challenge us all. This was a tough week for me to have any conversations, whether I was in staff, at home, I'm preparing on don't lie. Like, there's a lot of truth that we're going to be looking at here today. But here's the thing. We're born into this world, and one of the first things we learn how to do, it's lie. Now, I have all my own stories. Like, I don't even have to pick on my son, but he's here, so I'm going to pick on him just a little bit. When you sit in the front row, that's what happens. But when Jared was about two, and I'd go to Jared and I'd say, Jared, did you hit Jaden over the head with that toy? He would say, no. And I just watched him do it. But we learn at a very early age the word no, and we use it in many applications in life at two years old. And one of the ways to get out of consequences of something we did was by lying. So we, would, we learn at an early age to lie so we won't get in trouble. Then as parents, we even tell our kids to lie. So if you go to grandma's house and it's Christmas time and you open up a belt, look happy. Like, pretend, lie, say thank you. That happened to me. I can remember, I broke my Aunt Nella's heart. She made this leather belt. It actually had Jesus and this, um, whatever you call it, the imprints, the stamping on this leather belt. And I was like 10 years old, and I opened it, and I just threw it aside. And she goes, that's okay. My mom is like getting on me like, what? I was just being honest. I wasn't really excited about this gift. We passed that same communication off to our kids. And we learn it at a very early age. And it's not like we get to age 11 and go, whew, our lying season's over. We've matured now. Now after 11, no. If anything, this grows in us. And it just evolves into all of our relationships. I'll never forget, I was newly married. We have to go back 28 years for this. And the first time, Paula and we had a conversation after, so it might not have been the first time, but in, in early years of marriage, I remember she asked me this question. She says, how do I look? And I said, you look fine. That is not what she wanted to hear. Was I being truthful? Yes. But then I learned, wait a minute, I am a husband in training here, and I paid for days because I said she looked fine. And it wasn't, baby, you look fine. It was, <laughs> you look fine. So now, on Sunday, when we get home, she will tell me, you didn't say anything about my shoes. 
you didn't tell me anything about my new, my new wardrobe. Like, if she has a new blouse, she hates the word blouse. She's homesick, so I can talk about Paula all day. There's going to be a lot of marriage details today, right? Don't worry, she has no idea how to find the recordings online anyway, so we're safe. <laughs> we're safe. But what, what, what I was learning was, is that Paula had these expectations of me admiring her and, and just paying attention to her, and through these questions, you know, because also, like, she would also ask, well, how did that taste? You know, she would cook something. I said, well, she doesn't really want the truth. You know, thank God that keto thing's over. Whew! Sugar is really good at what it does, people. And see, the whole problem, well, okay, this is a tangent. The whole problem with the keto stuff, and here it is. So, so please, say, this, you won't be able to tell the difference. That's your problem, keto chefs. And I love that you're eating healthy. Amen. Keep eating healthy. But what you need to say is this keto glob, because it's not a cake, is better than broccoli. Then you will get the response you want from me. Yes, that was better than broccoli. But it's not a dessert. Please don't go home and bake something and bring it next week to try to prove me wrong. But marriage will test you in lying and being truthful. You will be tested in your life is what uh, all the relationships, the seasons, when you go to work, in your workplace, whether you're at home with your family, God is going to communicate a lot of details to us today about lying. But it's important that we understand the definition. Here's how Webster defines a lie. It's to make an untrue statement with intent to deceive. But Webster is leaving something out there because what is truth? What's an untrue statement? That could vary depending on what you believe. Um, there's a lot of worldly advice that we get um, inundated with, and you can get the world's definition of truth. So here's how the working definition we're going to use today is to make an untrue statement about one of God's truth with the intent to deceive. So God's truth is what the lens we look through truth. And so that's going to lead us to the ninth commandment here. In Exodus 20, verse 16, this is what it says. It says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Seems simple enough, right? But it's a reason this made the ninth commandment. Out of all the commandments that were collected as the ten, um, God has a lot to say about this. But what I want to say is we're going to be looking at several scriptures, and some of them, like this one, yes, are talking about possibly in a courtroom setting. But then there's also then our relationships, and we just kind of will call that society. But here's the truth. God has a high value of truth, whether you're in the courtroom or in society. So I don't want us to get so locked on because this could be talking about the neighbor that lives next door, and it's just talking about how you communicate about your neighbors. But it could be when you see the word testify falsely to testify personal testimony in the court of law, that can mean that as well. And so I just want you to know that God values truth, and regardless of whether it's in our family, at work, or if we are testifying on behalf in the courtroom for some reason or some case, God always values truth. And so there's a reason that God is communicating these details about make sure that when you testify, whether it's in the court of law or even in amidst society, be truthful, because God is a just God, which means God is fair. He does not appreciate when an innocent person gets punished or when a guilty person goes unpunished, because He is a just God. 
And what that tells me is, yes, there are going to be times because of our actions that we are going to face consequences. Yes, because God can work within those consequences. When we make a mistake, God can grow us, God can stretch us, but there are times, just with this understanding of how God is fair, there are times when he wants us to, to reward us, to bless us because of good behavior, in the sense of honoring him with our life, we experience these blessings, but when we turn our back or when we do something, there's this other side, the character of like Satan, well, then there's consequences to that. And in a courtroom setting, God is communicating, you must be truthful with your testimony. So let's look at the then, what this meant 3,000 years ago, because it's important to look at the then and now and today. So 3,000 years ago, we didn't have any CSI. We didn't have any DNA testing. You know, the evidence that was collected, it had to be real obvious, but over 3,000 years ago, a personal testimony was at the top of the list. And it actually is today, too. But now we have all this other uh, just technology and resources to help align with a personal testimony. Well, 3,000 years ago, you did not have that. And so you had these personal testimonies that would really dictate the fate of a person was guilty or innocent. And God says, be sure to always be truthful in that setting because I am a just God. Be truthful. Now, there's a couple reasons why we would falsely accuse or testify against our neighbor. Just There's a couple reasons why we would lie that I think we all have in common. There's literally thousands of reasons why people lie, but I do want to just touch on these. The first one, the reason why many people lie is because they want to protect themselves. So that's, you know, we learned this very early in age two. If I confess on hitting my brother over the head with a toy, I'm going to get punished. I don't want to be punished, so I'm going to lie. I'm going to try to get out of that. Well, that doesn't change all the way through life. In your marriage, you will be tested with this. Sometimes speaking the truth is going to put you in a difficult spot, to say the least. At your job, you are going to try to protect yourself. You know, I think... If you've ever been in a situation where you've made a mistake at work, you would, there's a very common statement like this, I would do anything to keep my job. And a lot of times we think of, you know, there's this lie and then there's truth. Well, there's a lot of tactics of lying. Like in a sense of I'm about to lose my job, well, maybe I'll share half the truth, but then I'll conceal the other half. Or maybe I'll spin it. I'll spin the truth to my advantage, whatever that might be. And we do all these tactics because we want to protect ourselves. You know, I've had some speeding tickets, some speeding violations over the years. I'll be 50 in March, so I have a little experience with this. And I got to tell you, when I'm getting pulled over, the first thing I'm saying to myself is, how can I get out of this ticket? So for all the police and men and women in here, just close yours a little bit. But I, because, yes, I'm selfish. I don't want to pay the 200 and whatever dollar fine. But my heart is, how can I get out of this? And I know they're going to come and they're going to get my license and registration and proof of insurance. Then they're going to ask this question. Do you know why I pulled you over, Mr. Van Inken? And right then, I have a decision to make. I should say, yes, I knew I was doing 88 and a 55. Yes, I know that. <laughs> That's why you pulled me over. But see, if I commit, if, if, I, if I'm honest, and they're like, yep, and here's the ticket. 
maybe he'll extend a little grace. This is where, like, where is my pastor's card? Like, where's my get out of jail free Jesus card? I'm a pastor. Have forgiveness. Have mercy for me. Because I'm selfish that way. But we do things like this because we want to protect ourselves. So sometimes the truth doesn't come out. We lie about details. Then there's to promote ourselves. And we are really good at this. Because our favorite subject is M-E. It's me, right? So many of us love to promote ourselves. So in a case like this, like I play golf, and I love playing golf. But you know what? I just laugh every time, especially at tournaments. Like we just had our church tournament, and it was, it was funny. After the fact, the four people, you know, they get together, and they start talking about their golf game. Now, we were just out on that golf course chasing this ball. We were hitting it in the trees. We were hitting it in the water. But you'll hear things like, oh, man, we left so many strokes out there on the golf course. We missed so many putts. If we would have just made one more putt, we would have won this tournament. Like, I'm sitting there going, wait, no. You would have had to shave 28 strokes off your score to win the tournament. Now, I've been there. I've, I've, I'm guilty of this, too. But I came to a point because here's what all golfers do. You mean to tell me if you were to play better, you would score better? Like, like, whoa, there's a concept. And to hear about the, the drive that went 480 yards, it did not go for it. It didn't go 280. <laughs> but why do we do that? And I'm using a golf analogy because we like to promote ourselves. We have this really self sometimes we paint this beautiful picture about who we are. Here's a, a quick question to kind of just test, test the waters here. If you were to pull out your driver's license, just a few details of what they ask about you. Are they true? Are you really the height you say on your driver's license? Is your hair color really the hair color? Is your weight accurate? I know your birthday date is on there, so. There are some, some, some times that we're going to be tested about lying because we like to exaggerate things about us. We like to promote things about us. But that is another, really the second reason I think that we can all relate to. None of us want to look bad. None of us want to, look, to be looked down upon. We want to elevate ourselves. So what we're going to be looking at are three points here today to really help us, to try to help us with this lie issue that we all have. And here's the first point. Lying is out of step with God's character. So when something aligns with God's character, we know it's good, we know it's healthy. But then on the other side, if it contradicts God's character, we know it's bad, we know it's unhealthy. And we see this, and it's important to understand um, God's character as it pertains to lying. This is what it says in Hebrews. 6.18, it says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. Amen. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie because it's not a part of his nature. His nature is truth. God is truth. And lying is the exact opposite. It opposes God's character. And here's what, he, what he's saying is, I want you to be truthful. And so I want you to reflect my character of truth. In your relationships that I have blessed you with, I want you to be truthful. But what happens is we step outside of God's character to this side. 
to this character. And this is Satan's character because John, or Jesus said in John um, 840, uh, yeah, John 8.44, it says this, that Jesus is a liar and a father of lies. And so Satan wants us to be rooted in deception, untruth. Sorry, if I said Jesus, it's Satan. Jesus is about truth. Satan's character is all about lies and deception. And so you can see what is heart's plan for us to flourish in our relationships to be truthful for one another. Like, truth is a very important part. If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody who is always untruthful, you know the damage that does because there is a lack of trust. And what God is saying here, he says, so God has given both us his word, his promises, his oaths. These two things are unchangeable. They will not change. We can turn to his word and know that he's going to remain faithful and true to us. That you can trust in that. That means you can trust in God for your marriage. You can trust in God for your singleness. Students at school right now, regardless of what grade you are in, my hope is that you know who to turn to to trust. When life gets difficult or school gets hard, and there's always, you know, going back to school, I think... We all could probably have memories of, of, especially us who are much older, we have to look a little bit further back, but you could probably remember when lies damaged a student, a fellow friend, because in that season, there are a ton of lies, and students know that you can turn to God and you can trust in God in those moments. Exodus chapter 2, or 23, verses 1 and 2, kind of shares more details about the dangers of what it means to lie. Look at what it says. It says, You must not pass along false rumors. You must not cooperate with evil people by lying on the witness stand. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. And do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because that person is poor. So let's talk about these two characters. Let's first talk about Satan's. Look, what does Satan want us to do? He wants us to pass along false rumors. Then he wants us to cooperate with evil by what? By lying. He says, throw truth out the window, follow the crowd. And God says, when we do that, we're doing wrong. Then he goes back. And what Satan wants for us, he says, he wants us to be swayed for what reason? So that we will twist justice. Look at all the untruth in here that God is warning us about. And then he says, and don't slant your testimony. That's what Satan wants for us. He wants us to slant it. He doesn't want it to be truthful. Even if our motive is a good motive of having compassion on someone who is poor. Don't give them favor in that. Always be truthful. So what does God say? You must not pass false rumors. You must not cooperate with evil. Do not, you must not follow the crowd. Do not be swayed. Do not slant your testimony. That's God's word saying there is a warning. A warning about telling false testimonies. Do not fall into this camp about sharing untruths. 
or trying to deceive people. But lying is just not a violation against truth. There's another important piece here. Lying also hurts people. God cares for his people. People matter to God. And so when we lie, we are causing damage. We are hurting God's people is what Scripture says. I don't know if you've ever read through Proverbs, but this, this verse really communicates what happens when we lie to people. Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Now, when you think about these weapons that God's Word is communicating, like in order to pick up an axe, you are going to cause a serious wound. Same with the sword, and same with shooting them with a, with a sharp arrow. Like these are weapons that cause serious, almost fatal, depending on the this, this situation. What this verse is saying, and this is what lies do to the people that you are talking about, the people that you're being untrue to. You are hitting them with an axe. You are stabbing them with a sword. You are shooting them with a sharp arrow. Reading this verse... I think what God intends for us on how to use Proverbs is the next time we're in a conversation and we're getting to that point where we might start sharing some untruth about someone that's close to us or someone we know, think about this verse. Think about the words that you're about to communicate is hitting this person with an axe or stabbing this person with a sword or shooting this person with a sharp arrow. That's how I think God wants us to, to, to not only understand that our lies are damaging, there are severe consequences. And it's not even if these people find out about it. Yes, when you've been lied to or something's been exaggerated about you and, or made up about you and it's completely false and you find out, oh man, that wound hurts. Oh, that hurts. But what this scripture is saying, it doesn't have anything to do, even if the person ever finds out that you lied about them. The damage is done in the untruth. The damage is done at the moment you said the words. That you've damaged that person with an axe, with a sword, with a sharp arrow. And when we disobey, or when we lie, we're disobeying the greatest commandment. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love God. Put God first. Love God. And then he says, the second is just as important as the first. They're equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we're hurting people with lies, we're disobeying the greatest commandment. Everything is rooted in that greatest commandment. All the other commandments just flow out of the greatest commandment, which is love God and love others and love yourself. It just flows out of that. And by lying, we are hurting people, God's people. And what God is saying, he goes, I put you here for these amazing, beautiful relationships, and I want you to flourish in these relationships, and I want truth to always guide and lead these relationships. I love how Ephesians says it. At times, we're supposed to speak truth in love. 
If you can speak truth and love with people, you are going to have healthy, flourishing relationships. God has such a high value on truth. So there's the damage. Now let's look at the cure, and this is our last point. The only cure for lying is a changed heart. Now at first glance, you might think that lying is a mouth issue. Just kind of these empty words at times. Well, no. What God is saying is that it's a much deeper issue. Lying actually starts in your heart. We see that in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20. It says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Look at what God's Word is communicating here. He's putting murder, adultery, all sexual immorality with lying. Like lying is a big deal because lying does a lot of damage. It's we're stepping out of God's character and now we're doing the work of Satan. And God is saying, no, reflect my character, reflect my truth. And the only way that we can be cured of this is a heart issue. See, the Bible says when you come to faith, you have this faith moment when you understand and believe the details of what Jesus did on the cross for you. In that faith moment, it says that Jesus puts a new heart in us. At that moment, because we have this, as Scripture would define it, a, a heart of stone. It's not a tender, responsive heart. It's a, it's a hardened heart. And its purpose is to remain in our sinful nature. But when you come to faith and you surrender your life, you're like, look, God, I am, I am tired of following my path. I want to put my faith and trust in you, Jesus. It says at that moment, we get this new heart, a heart that wants to change from our sinful ways, a heart that now wants to follow Jesus, follow God's path, God's will for our lives. It also says now we have this new identity. It's an identity in Christ and that's where God can work now with us. See, when we're in this unrepentive, separated from God, we are a stubborn, hardened heart. Lies just come and go. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus now, it's not that we're never going to lie again. But now we have the resources. We have the power of God dwelling in us. We have a new heart. We have this new identity. Now it is possible to not lie. Are you going to be perfect in that? No. There is an eternal blessing for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, and we will not experience perfection until then. But what we can do is be honoring to God while we're here in our relationships in this broken world. And yes, we can have victory over lying. Does that mean we're never going to lie again? No. You're going to continue to sin. But what it does is it says you are focused on reflecting God's character, God's truth, God's love with people. And it is possible. Here's how Colossians says it. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked, de wicked, wicked deeds. I love baptisms because there's so much symbolism there. When you go into the water, that is significant because that represents your old life, that you are burying your old life. 
And when you come out of the water, you are raised to walk what? A new life and a new identity, an identity in Jesus. And that imagery is so powerful, and that's that heart picture. When God puts a new heart in us, now we have this new identity in Christ, and our, our, our hearts are pointed in a direction of what is going to be honoring to God. And what all of this message is coming to in this ninth commandment is God wants us to be truthful. Don't ever jeopardize it. Understanding the value that God puts on truth and understanding the details of how God, Jesus, has cured us so that our old life has been stripped away. And now we can walk in this new life. If you are here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, know that you can trust in that message, the message of salvation. God has given his promises and his oaths. Know that you can trust in that message. And I'm going to end with this. It's interesting to me. I want to go to where Jesus was betrayed by Judas and was arrested. And Jesus himself experienced this ninth commandment. He was falsely accused. He stood before an angry crowd. And that angry crowd swayed Pontius Pilate's decision. Pontius Pilate said, I washed my hands of it, and that's not exactly what he did. But he gave in to, he did exactly the warnings here, don't be swayed by the crowd. But he turned Jesus over. Now here's what Jesus, I think, was saying under his breath. This is nowhere in Scripture. I think he was looking at the mob. He never complained. He never tried to prove his innocence. And I think he looked at those Pharisees and those Sadducees, and he said, if you hate me now, you just wait. You just wait. Because what I'm about to do, you are not going to like. And he went to the cross. And the reason he went to the cross is because he loved you. In Romans, it says, the wages of sin is death. A death had to be paid for the sins of the world. And also it says in Romans that Jesus made it right for us to be made right with God. So it's by Jesus' death, because he loves you, and he stayed true to you. His word is true to you. His salvation is true to you. And he loves you, and he demonstrated that love by going to the cross and dying for you. And the Bible says that when you believe in that message, that Jesus died for you and went to the cross, and you confess it with your mouth, it says right then and there you're saved, saved from the consequences of your sin. It is a beautiful love story of how God loves us and how Jesus didn't allow anything to stand in his way of allowing us to come to him. And when you put your faith and trust and you believe in Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, not only did he conquer death, but he conquered sin. And you can make that response today. You can leave here today no longer separated from God, but in the very palms of God's grasp by what Jesus has done. So here's what I'm going to do. We don't do this a lot, but we do this every several months. I'm going to say a prayer. If you are here today and you want to make that profession of faith, of saying, yes, I'm tired of my ways. I am tired of following my path. 
I want to respond to what Jesus did on the cross. I want to receive his gift of grace today. Then I want you to close your eyes and say this prayer along with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. Jesus, I give you praise for going to the cross and dying on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I receive the gift of salvation that only comes from you. I am trusting in you and you alone for the forgiveness of my sins, Jesus. Amen. If you've made that confession of faith, of saying those words, I want to say you just made the most important decision that life offers. It's a decision of what do we do with Jesus? Do we reject him or do we receive him? And I just want to say amen. If you are here and you've made that prayer for the very first time, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'm going to go ahead and close out the message now with another prayer. Please bow and pray with me. God, we do thank you for your word, that it is trustworthy, that regardless of the season of life we are in, that we can turn to you because of your promises to us, how you care, how you bring comfort in the time of need. Lord, it is so encouraging that we could always turn to you, and you are never going to turn your back on us because you remain faithful in all your promises. And I just pray that we would trust in you more and more in our daily lives, Lord. God, help us with this issue that we all have with lying, Lord. Help us to understand the scriptures that we read about today, the warning signs of the damage that this caused and what it does cause. God, help us to reflect your loving, truthful character in our relationships. I pray that as we go about our day into our jobs, that that would be the character that we reflect, that loving truth. And God, that we'd be honoring with our language, not only with ourselves, but within all the amazing relationships that you allow us to be a part of, Lord. We recognize those are a gift from you. And God, forgive us when we damage the people that are close to us when we're being untruthful to them, Lord. So we turn to you for everything. Lord, I pray as we close out this service that we would stand, we'd lift our voices up to you. That's in a way of of honoring you through worship. God, we praise you because you're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. Be with us this week, Lord. May we be honoring to you. May we look for your direction, your guidance in our lives. And Lord, may we receive your strength to challenge us in a, in a loving way with the words about others, Lord. May they always be truthful. Help us to do that. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.